look, this is when our service would usually be ending, and I am only just now getting up to preach, which is why Mike advised me in preparing this week to preach a shorter sermon. But... <laughs> better we go a little long than that we fail to preach the word of God on a day like today. Here we are, 150 years, isn't that a long time? A sesquicentennial celebration. As a church, we have now turned, or tomorrow we will turn, 15 tea. <laughs> it's a long time. It's hard to comprehend. Uh, a lot can happen in 150 years. The ministry here, beginning in 1872, commenced the year after the Franco-Prussian War ended, which means that we as a congregation are one year younger than the nation of Germany. If you can get your head around that. How much has the world changed since four score and ten years ago? The famous English preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon still had 20 years left in the pulpit when the saints at Inaugura began to meet. The Sunday school here had been running for eight years before the death of Ned Kelly. The gospel was being taught here for 14 years before Carl Benz would submit his world-changing patent for the Benz Motorwagen. We were 29 on the occasion of Australian Federation. We had our 30th birthday before the Wright brothers flew the first airplane. The ministry that has taken place here in Inogra has survived the reign of no less than six British monarchs with Chaz to come. <laughs> Queen Victoria, Edward VII, George V, Edward VIII, George VI, and now Elizabeth II. We have been here for the tenure of every single Australian Prime Minister ever. The significance of that period of time came home to me in, in preparing for the funeral of Beryl Fanning in a few years past, a long-time member of this church. Beryl had been born in the 1920s, I believe, and we buried her only a few years ago, and at that time, I believe that she had been the longest single continuous attender of our church. She once told me that she could remember Jeanette Schwanke being brought to our church as a baby. <laughs> Beryl was born into a world so different than the one that she died in. She departed to be with her Lord Jesus. She was born sometime around when Don Bradman was making his test debut. When motor cars were a special treat when dirt roads and farms still surrounded this area, when household electricity was almost unheard of. She lived through the Great Depression. She worked at the barracks across the street here during the Second World War. She lived through the invention of television, the personal computer, the splitting of the atom, space flight, the internet, mobile phones. How different was the world she was born in from the one that she departed and through it all, church was here. A group of believers with a shared faith in Jesus, gathering weekly, opening the word, praising and praying. In 150 years, so much has changed, but some things have not. We believe in the same Jesus as they did. We read the same Bible. 
We are saved by the same cross. We are called to the same holiness. We carry with us the same great commission and we are filled with that same indwelling spirit. Not only has our little church here had a long reach, it's had a wide one. I suspect, I'm going to to put my head on the chopping block quickly here, that we have somebody worshipping with us here today from every continent on the planet, with the sole exception of Antarctica. Because despite my best efforts, they still will not let me make penguins into church members. Let's risk it for a moment here and fly around the globe. Think think of the country to which you were born and where it was on this earth. And then let us know if you were here. Is there saints today here with us who were born in North America? The United States? Two, three, four. Canada? Any Canadians? We've got a Canadian. No, we've just got a hand left up from the United States, I think. (laughs) Jamaicans, Jamaica, you count as North America, don't you? The Caribbean. We'll go with the Caribbean. Where are our South Americans? Chile? Brazil? Who am I missing? Europeans. The United Kingdom. Portugal. Anyone else? Africans. South Africa. There's a lot more of you than I thought there was going to be. <laughs> where, where are my Zimbabweans at? Where, where are you born now? Zambia. Zambia. I was off by several countries. All right. <laughs> Asia and the Pacific. We've got China, perhaps. Malaysia. The Philippines. India. And then last but not least, where are my Aussies? Not New Zealand, you don't count. (laughs) Do you understand what we just did? The, the, The point is that despite our vast differences, which once separated us, at one time we were scattered across the globe. Despite the different cultures and languages, here we all are. On the same day, worshipping the same God, for the same reason, through the same gospel, as part of the one family. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has been faithful to us. He's been keeping his promise. And so we have reason to believe he will continue to keep it. On a day like today, it's worth giving our attention to that promise again and afresh. And so would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. Matthew 16, 13 reads, through to 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock 
I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This, uh, this passage brings our attention to a time at the height of Jesus' popularity, before the transfiguration. There are crowds of followers and a sense of expectation is building. People have figured out that Jesus is someone special. This man is being sent to us from God. And Jesus takes a moment with his closest disciples and asks them, who do the people say that I am? And just like there are today, there were lots of opinions, lots of different answers to that questions. The crowds agreed that Jesus was significant. That's why they were a crowd. But many of them had different ideas about what all the hubbub was about. Which Old Testament prophecy that they were witnessing being fulfilled in Christ? Which school of interpretive thought was correct? And then Jesus asks his disciples the pointier question, who do you say that I am? Somewhat unsurprisingly, Peter is the first to answer. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. We see in Jesus' response that there is something very special about Peter's answer. Jesus says that Peter has cottoned onto something that is not publicly available information. There's been a leak. His answer hints at knowledge that Peter could only have known by divine revelation. Flesh and blood, says, says Jesus, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Which means that Peter's answer is extremely important. Do you feel that? Something sets Peter's answer to Jesus' question apart from the answers of all the crowds in a way that matters. Lots of people have opinions about who Jesus is, but Peter has got it right. What is it that makes his answer different? He knows for certain that Jesus is the promised Messiah. That's not hugely different. The crowds have probably figured that part out. And then importantly, he goes on to say that Jesus is the son of the living God. At the time of this conversation, Jesus had referred to himself as the son of man most frequently. It seems to be the title that Jesus preferred for himself. Son of God was a title that was used of him a lot less often. Actually, the most common place that we had heard it before now was through the mouths of demons. When Jesus would rebuke them and tell them to stay silent, when confronted by Jesus, they would call him the son of God. We now know from our vantage point in history with great clarity what it means for Jesus to be both the Son of Man and the Son of God. The divine God-man. The second person of the Trinity. God himself has taken on flesh. But how much did Peter know? These words would come to have great significance in the early church. And by the time that the Apostle John would write his version of the Gospel... These words had become crystallized. In telling us why he wrote, John said these words. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. By some sad accident of church history, this passage in Matthew 16 has become 
controversial. And all of the hubbub and the debate revolves around the question of, what does it mean when Jesus calls Peter the rock? That is not the main point of this passage. Peter, your name means rock, Petros. You are the Petra. It's a pun. We're all for puns here. And on this rock, which has something to do with Peter's confession of who Jesus is, says Jesus, here's the important part. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. They've been trying to understand. I, I am many things. But one of them is not an expert in medieval siege warfare. But one thing I know. Gates are not a particularly effective offensive weapon. They're a defensive weapon. I don't remember the scene in Braveheart when the Scots threw back the English by attacking them with handheld gates. Do you understand what I'm saying? The kingdom of Jesus has been on the advance, has been on the offensive, and the gates of hell have been doing their best for 2,000 years and before, not 150, to prevail against his encroachment. Hell has hoped to prevail against the encroaching of the coming kingdom of Jesus this whole time. It has been doing everything that it can. And despite its best efforts, here we all are. For so many years, from all over the globe, through Christ, hell is on the defensive. He is building his church in places where hell used to think it reigns, where it once thought itself to be unopposed. Hell is defending its turf, but it won't work. Because Jesus is building his church. Because Jesus is the Christ. The son of the living God. The lamb who was slain and was raised again to life victorious. Who has ascended to heaven and now sits at his father's right hand. Who has sent his spirit into the world. And who now rules and reigns with all authority over all things forever. Until his enemies have been made into his footstool. Until death has lost its sting. Until the old order of things has passed away and crying and weeping are no more. <laughs> Jesus is building his church. And how is he building it? He is building it on the confession of the truth. On the good news on the stable and unchanging gospel. Here is a promise. The good news of Jesus has lost none of its power. It is as relevant and powerful and helpful and life-giving today as it ever was. For us, it has been 150 years. How much has changed the world has changed. Australia has changed. Technology has changed. Public opinion has changed. The people involved and the circumstances in which we live have changed. But Jesus has not changed. Yeah. 
He is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And the gospel has not changed. It has lost none of its power. Despite the different tastes of people, it has lost none of its relevance. There is still no other name by which all men must be saved. And in his name, there is salvation still. Jesus is keeping his promise and he is building his church. Brothers and sisters, local congregations come and go, but the church of Jesus knows no end. If the reach of this congregation has been wide and long, the reach of Jesus is wider and longer still. And now that same Jesus, living and well, thank you very much, asks you this same question. Who do you say that I am? Do you stand with Peter and with John and all the faithful along with them and confess? I know who he is. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And that by believing there is, there is life in his name. Jesus invites you today. If there is anyone here today who has yet to take that step of entrusting yourself to Jesus in faith, today is the day. Today is a good day to come home and to join us. Let today be the day when you escape from the deathly grip of hell and instead become caught up in the freeing grace of Jesus. Today, enter into this thing which is bigger and more important than the span of a mere human life. Come into a kingdom we have no earthly right to take part in. Be forgiven and made whole forever by the grace that comes through Jesus alone. He invites you in today to know him and to belong to him, your creator and your redeemer. I am so glad to say that in 150 years, the confession of this church has not changed one whit. The name of Jesus has been worshipped here the whole time. The word has been believed and obeyed. And Jesus has been building his church among us and with us and in us. And for 150 years, the gates of hell have done their best and failed. Because Jesus is building his church. And so now I invite you all, all you who share in this saving confession of the Christ, all you who believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we have life in his name, whether you have believed this for a hundred years or even just for a moment, would you stand with me now, all you who are his? And we will call on his name together. Father, it is our joy to declare to God be the glory great things he has done. Jesus, 
You've been keeping your promise to us. You've been building your church. You've been doing the impossible and bringing the dead back to life. Bringing the prodigals home. Bringing hope to the hopeless. Healing to the sick. We praise you today. To you and you alone belongs all this glory. (laughs) And we thank you that we share in this joy and this certainty and this hope, even in a time of change. Jesus, we ask that you would continue to keep your promise. It's such a safe prayer. And whether it be here or elsewhere, we pray that your kingdom would continue to advance until that day when you return and we meet with you face to face. We look forward, our Lord and our God, to another reunion like today (coughs) at the banquet feast of the Lamb when we will share with one another in the fulfilled joy of what it is that you have only begun here. You are good. You do good. And to you belongs all glory and honor and praise in the church both now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.